Here in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro's father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him there in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, and he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from their land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Here, Moses is just simply wandering in the wilderness. He used to be a prince in Egypt. He's ran away. He's going the wrong direction, and he's been doing that for years. So he's got to the point where he no longer thinks that he's going in the wrong direction. He's, he's married a wife, he's got some kids, and he's moving forward. He's a farmer. He, he's not the prince of Egypt anymore. He doesn't have to deal with all that baggage. He's moved on. And sometimes that's exactly what happens to us in our lives. We, we get kick-started in our relationship with God. God can be pouring out a season of revival, which he did in the 90s. For those of us who have been here since the 90s, we know we've experienced God in an amazing way. But life has a way of just going back to normal. It was amazing to see in Toronto, we had the fire conference on Wednesday to Saturday, and 3,000 people showed up hungry for God all over the world. But on Sunday morning, when Reinhardt was supposed to speak in the church, the church was not packed out. The church was not full. There were some spaces there. And Reinhardt wasn't able to minister. But they didn't know that till the early hours of the morning. And there was not the same level of expectation. And as I looked on that, I thought, you know, it's It's amazing. How you can have all this revival happening, people falling out into the power of God. You can have all the latest speakers and Rick Joyner and Lou Engel and Heidi Baker and everyone's flat on the floor seeking God. And then on a Sunday morning, you've got what you call normal church. Normal church. And this is exactly what happened to Moses. He just was living a normal life. He was no longer caught up with God. He was no longer probably even aware of God. And then God shows up in a burning bush and it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of the bush. So he's just walking the wrong way and then suddenly God intervenes in his life and there is a turning point. Now there's a flame of fire going on. Now Colin lit a match on this platform and said, By a symbol from this platform, we're going to light a fire. And there'll be two types of people. Those who buy into that and say, wow, whatever's going on, I want to be a part of that. And they start to seek the Lord. And there'll be another group of people who just say, well, you know what, seen that, we've experienced God. And, you know, life goes on. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the type of person where life just goes on. Just going through the motions and... Well, we see a few miracles, but just not enough. We see a few people saved, but just not enough. We're just not quite making it, but we're okay. We'll get to heaven in the end. 
I want to stir ourselves up to expect God for what Paul Cain said, an unprecedented revival, an unprecedented outpouring, and at least to get to what happens in the Bible, where a crippled man in Acts chapter 3 got up, he was fully healed, and started to run around and leap and dance and praise God. Something significant happened, and 5,000 people responded to the gospel just because that man got up. But listen to what it says. It says, Then Moses turned aside to look upon God. As he turned aside, the Bible says God called him. Sometimes we're, we're asking God, Lord, I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. I want your direction for my lives. But we're not willing to seek him. We're not willing to sacrifice. We're not willing to turn aside. There needs to become a turning point in our life where we realize, you know, we just don't have it right now. The greatest revelation that can come to your life today is to accept that you are not at the level that is required to serve God in his call for your life. To accept where you are and to get frustrated where you are and say, God, you know what? Where I am right now is not where I want to be. Where I am right now is not where I want to be. I want to be connecting with you. I know there's so much more that I can connect with. I want to meet with you in such a tangible way that you change my life. So the first thing Moses does is he turns aside and he turns to God. And that's what we need to do this week. The Bible says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll forgive their sin. Hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. What is God saying? He's saying, I'll bring unprecedented revival when my people turn back, when my people seek after me in a, in a new way. I remember in the 90s, in the 90s, we had church. We had a good church. We had a great band. We had a great choir. Uh, of all the churches in the northeast of England, probably that church that I decided to go to when I was 16 is probably one of the best churches that you can go to. But it was church at its best. Church at its best, but without the Holy Spirit. Church at its best, but without the Holy Spirit. And so, there was a little measure of the Holy Spirit. People got a bit of joy. 11 o'clock every week, some woman would stand up in the corner, and she would prophesy. And the other corner, someone would interpret the tongue. So we had the gifts of the Spirit, and we were okay. So that's what happens in most Pentecostal churches. The gifts of the Spirit equal someone standing up and speaking in tongues, and then someone translating that tongue. And we say, wow. We've got the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But what happens is everybody just goes home the same. We come in at 11 o'clock and we finish at 1 o'clock and we go home the same. And we keep going home the same, keep going home the same, keep going home the same. When is somebody going to rise up and say, hey, this is not enough? Because God has called us to make a difference in the world. He's, made, he's called us to save people, heal people, and if we could do that ourselves. Can anybody save people here today? Can anybody heal people? None of us. We need God. And when we come to that point in our lives and we say, God, we need you, we become a mess. We become a wreck. And here, Moses turns aside and he decides to seek after God. I want you to turn over to Exodus chapter 33. So that was the first time that Moses had an encounter with the glory of God. He turns aside, he receives his call. And he gets caught up with this fire and he goes into Egypt and he, after signs and wonders and miracles, he takes the people out. A million people come out of Egypt and they're walking in the wilderness and they're walking through the promised land. In Exodus chapter 32, what you read is that the people who've been rescued by God 
in supernatural signs and wonders and experiences. Literally, they've seen the plagues. They've seen the river turn to blood. They've seen God bring them out, and he didn't just bring them out empty-handed, but he brought them out full of riches, full of the riches of Egypt. So they had all that they had. They had the riches naturally. They had God supernaturally. They had a pillar uh, of fire, a cloud where God was following them. They had everything, but yet when Moses disappeared, what did they do? They built a calf. They built an idol. They wanted something substantial. They wanted something natural. This is the difference between somebody who wants God and someone who's content with just religion. See, religion is just natural things. Form. Some people said today, you're a Christian, you look really sharp, got a new tie on. I said, great, if you know I me. Mean. But this is just outward, isn't it? This is outward. If you were believing this, this outward revival was going to make a difference, then, 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 then great. But that's just religion. The only thing that can make a difference is the heart. The heart, in their heart, they've built an idol. And the evidence of the idol in the heart was the golden calf on the outside. And what that meant was, it was what they were focusing on. They were no longer focusing on God. They were focusing on their religion. So go back to my home church, and we had a great church with a great choir, and we did great things and all that, and we were known to be a great church, but there was no Holy Spirit there. So that was a calf. That's a golden calf. A form of religion, but no power. A form of religion, but no power. Now, I don't know how you feel, but this is exactly how I feel. You're trying to pray for someone who needs a healing. And you haven't met with God, and you haven't prayed, and you probably haven't prayed for days, and you feel particularly tired, but yet you know that there's going to be a healing because God's promised the healing. But you know in your heart you're not serving God. So the miracle itself is something you're trying to work up so it becomes a form. Oh God, you said in your word that you're going to heal, so I'll take that form of religion and try to apply it even though I'm no longer living in a full relationship with you. See, miracles come when the glory of God returns on the inside, amen? When God is ministering you on the inside, a byproduct of you living for God is miracles. If we're not living for God, how can we expect miracles? So the first thing we've got to do is accept where we are. Here they reached a golden calf, a particular difficult situation. And here Moses gets told by God in Exodus 33, the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here. You and the people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt and the land which I swore to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give that land. So he's saying, I'm still going to give you the land. I'm still going to give you a blessing. I'm still going to give you the land. And I will send my angel before you and I'll drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. So he's still going to bless you. He's still going to send his angel and he's going to drive out all his enemies. He says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So listen here. God says, it's time for you to go. Move away from that car, but get going. But listen, I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to bless you, but I'm not going with you. RT asked a question today, and he said, you know, what do you want? Do you want God, or do you want the blessings of God? Do you want God or the blessings of God. That's exactly what he was saying here. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you so much, and I'm going to send you help from heaven. My angel's going to come, and he's going to drive out all the enemy, but guess what? I'm not going with you. 
I don't know if anybody's had that hassle in their family. Anybody had that hassle in their family? Where you're going on a, to a beach or you're going out to the shopping center and then there's an argument and a fight and one of the people in the house say, well, you know what, because of that fight, I'm not going. My mom used to do it all the time. She used to say, because you guys have been fighting, we're not going. Oh, come on, mom, please. Please go. Come, we want to go. Well, you have to say sorry. And then we'd go through this whole repentance process and we'd end up going. This was the same scenario here. The people had served a golden calf and God said, literally, I'm just not going to go with you. Can you imagine? That's exactly what religion is. Where we keep going through the motion. We keep going through the motions. We keep doing the services, but we just don't have God. We have something that looks like God. Something that looks like We have great worship. And we have the tingling in the worship. Because that Pacific song, it creates a tingling in your body. But you know in your heart, you don't have God in your heart. God's not on the throne of your heart anymore. God's not on the throne of the pulpit. Or God's not on the throne of the altar. God's not on the throne of our lives. And what they were saying at the conference is that God wants to get back on the throne. And Moses gets frustrated. He pitches his tent and he starts to seek after God. And I believe that's exactly where we are right now. We have got to make a decision to come to the place in our lives where we say, hey, there's going to be a turning point in our life. There's going to be a turning point. I'm going to put a marker in the sand and I'm going to get a hold of God again. I'm going to assess my spiritual life. And I'm going to say, God, are you in my life or are you not in my life? Do I have a form? See, what happens to revivals is that they experience God in great heights of power and then they keep going with the form, but they don't have the power anymore. So I'll give an example of this. John Wimber used to pray something like this and shake his hand. Uh, and as he'd shake his hand, amazing miracles would start happening. He would pray for people and people would be healed. And then people who were John Wimber disciples would do the same thing. But they just lacked the power. They would just shake their hand. See, what was that? Just copying the form, but not having the power. I remember being in Westminster Chapel where we had one of the grace of the cities and we had about six disciples from the cell group there and they were all on fire. And there was one new guy and he was like this. Everyone was crying out to God. I mean, you can't copy tears, can you? But you can at least try. And so you, you lifting your hand like that and there's another guy lifting their hand like that, another guy lifting their hand like that. So this guy was watching. He didn't know what, quite know what to do. So he just went... I mean, that's just copying the form. Copying the form. But that worship or that expression, where does that come from? It comes from the heart. It comes from the heart. And the Bible says in Timothy that in the last days, there'll be a form of religion, but they'll deny the power. A form of religion, but deny the power. They'll have nice religion on the outside, but they'll deny Jesus Christ. They'll deny that Jesus is the Christ. That's what will happen. And Moses gets before in verse 12, and he says, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I've found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. Now Moses here, I don't know if he's blanked this out that God has said he's not going to go with him. But he's got before him and he said, Lord, well, if you're not going to go with me, send me some help and show me your way. At least I know that I'm going to go in your direction. I'm going to go in your direction. And he says that I may know you. 
I believe that in this moment, Moses began to feel that even though he'd experienced God in the burning bush, even though he'd experienced God with signs and wonders and miracles that brought them out of Egypt, and even though he'd experienced all that glory with the Ten Commandments that were smashed and broken, and then in chapter 34, there's going to be some new commandments, he started to realize, maybe I don't know God anymore. I've experienced all the signs of God, all the external things, but I need to know God. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then he said, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. How many of us are content to move forward in our lives without the presence of God? How many of us? Probably the majority of us. We keep going and the presence of God is not there. We don't make room for God. And says, for how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? And so you, we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the face of the earth. Now he gets to the point of intercession. And he's saying, you know, God, you've got us out of Egypt. And people are now going to look at us and say, hey, not even God is with them anymore. God delivered them out of Egypt, but now we're going to be separate, all your people. And so the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you've spoken for. You've found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses prayed this prayer. prayer. Please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. You know, the glory that Moses saw in Exodus chapter 3 was the Shekinah glory, the external glory, the light. But there's another glory, the Kabod glory, which is the heavy weight of God that comes on your life. And I believe that that Kabod glory is the weight that comes in revivals. The weight that comes in revivals where we read stories of the Welsh revival where they were all in their faces seeking God and repenting and people were falling from their seats and repenting. What was that? It was the weight of God's glory. In Topeka, Kansas, if you read God's General's book by Robert Leiden, there was a woman who came forward to Charles Parham who was at a Bible school. He was a Bible school director and she came forward and she said, I want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, he said, I haven't got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She said, I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues. He says, I haven't even experienced that for myself. How can I give you something that I've not experienced? She said, I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And she was determined. You get some ladies in church who are determined, amen, don't you? She was determined. He said, well, if you want that, in Jesus' name. And he prays for it. At that point, she smashes through the floor and she begins to speak in a Chinese tongue. As she speaks in this Chinese tongue, this exact Chinese language, and starts to shout out the glory of God, the presence of God fills that place. And for three days, up in the loft, they start to seek God. And as they start to seek God, the weight of God's glory comes down in such a tangible way that it's the weight of God's glory. There was a visible manifestation of the cloud of God's glory that filled that place. And they were all on their face. This happened to me in November. I wouldn't describe it necessarily as the glory of God. But in November at the fire conference, there was a man called Eric Gilmore. You may have heard of him. A young guy from Pensacola who's ministering now. And he was ministering at the fire conference. And Daniel Clender said, you know what? When this guy ministers, I just cry like a baby. I thought, what a wuss. Crying like a baby. So everyone's going to cry like a baby. This is all in my head. I didn't actually speak that out. So I'm listening to him. And as I'm listening to him, I'm starting to cry. And I'm thinking, God, wiping my tears away. And as he starts to minister on being close to God, desiring the glory, desiring Christ, being close, wanting to know God more, I started to feel I needed to get on my knees. 
And after I'd resisted a few times, towards the end, I just had to get on my knees because something of the glory of God and the desire for God started to come up from within my heart. And then when I got on my knees, it was like the heavy weight of God's glory came on my head and everybody in the entire auditorium was now on their face seeking God. That's the kabod of God's glory. The desire for God that rises in you and then the presence of God that comes upon you. I remember being in Wales. Now, I'm not going to say that this is the glory of God, but I believe that this was a symbol to us of the glory of God, the kabod of God's glory. And what I'm asking you and challenging you today is to start to seek God for his glory. Not the glory of man, not the glory of yourself, but the glory of God. And Moses said, I'm not going to go up from this place unless your glory comes. I remember praying on a mountain in Wales. There was about 12 of us from the cell group and we began to worship God. It was at night. So it was just at that point where it was getting dark and the sun was going down and darkness was about to come. So it was at that exact point. And so we began to pray. And as we began to pray, the presence of God came. So I closed my eyes. And I started to seek God. Tears were in my eyes and I was worshiping God and everybody was in a circle together seeking God. And people, some people were on their knees and some people were, but we were together. And as I opened my eyes, suddenly in the presence of God, I could feel the tangible presence of God, there was a cloud surrounding us. A visible cloud surrounding us. And where we could actually feel this real cloud. I believe it was a real cloud. Not necessarily the glory of heaven, but a real cloud that God suddenly permitted to be in that place at that time. And in the midst of that cloud, there was a sense of God's presence and God's glory. That's an example of the glory of God, the kabod of God coming upon the church. I believe when the glory of God comes upon the people of God, they will have no choice but to bow down and get before him. See, this is what needs to happen. I believe RT was saying it this morning that there needs to be a new challenge to the church to get on their knees. Not the form of getting on their knees, but the desire to get on your knees. But when the glory of God comes, you'll have no choice but to get flat on your face and start to seek God, whether it's on this altar or whether it's personally in your private time with God. See, Moses said that I'll not, I'm not going to move up from this place until your glory comes. And I believe that we're in a pivotal point where we've got to turn aside to the bush and start to seek God for his call afresh in our lives. See, this was a turning point. Before Moses went to heaven, this was the last opportunity he had to see the glory of God upon the earth before he got into the glory of God in heaven. And this was his opportunity. And there was a turning point here because he said, you know what, I refuse to move forward unless your glory comes afresh into my life. When I, when I went to Toronto, and I'm going to finish with this, I'd like the band to come back. When I went to Toronto, I remember hitting from the Atlantic, going through the Alaskan mountains and going down into Canada. When I looked out of the window, I saw the Alaskan mountains and snow, and as I looked up on these Alaskan mountains, I'd never been in Canada before, and I'd never been in Alaska before, and something just leaped in my spirit. I thought, wow, I'm in a completely new hemisphere. I'm in a completely new climate. And I believe that's exactly what God wants to do with our lives spiritually. He wants to bring us into a completely different climate, spiritually speaking. But when the breakthrough happens, everything that is of now will be completely changed. Amen? And I remember on the first day of the conference, I had a dream. And God's been giving me dreams. I remember telling the story how I was asleep in the balcony. 
how I woke up in the balcony of KT. I've never had a dream about KT before. I've never had a dream where I've been in KT before. I woke up within my dream and I went down the stairs. And the sound guys were checking the sound system because the doors were open. It was early hours of the morning. And I felt that something was missing. And I felt fear. I thought, I've slept through the whole night. The doors have been open. What could have happened? And I believe what God was saying, that the church is being challenged to wake up. I'm personally being challenged to wake up. Something has started to happen to me. And I believe that something has started to happen to Katie. And something has started to happen to the church in general. That there's a wake-up call happening. And I had this dream on, on the Wednesday before the conference. And I was driving down the M1. As I was driving down the M1, suddenly I was in my car with a family. And suddenly I hit a flood. As I hit this flood, the car began to spin. And as the car began to spin, we came to a standstill, and there was a fire on the left-hand side. I suddenly said, I need, to get, I need to get the family out. So I got the family out, put them to the side. And as I got the family out, I thought, my God, all the things I've been writing down, all the things I've been seeking God about, they're still in the car. Oh, my God, I've got to go and get them. Forget that fire. I need to get the stuff that God's been speaking to me about because my relationship with God is far more important than that car. So I went to the car, quickly got those things out. There was a new 